The 905s, whoever you are, this is Schwa Wars. Hello, everyone. My name is Adam Hayes. And today on a very special episode of Schwa Wars, we are going to be doing a special retro wrestling review where it's a 10-year anniversary, well, sort of, of a special pay-per-view that we're going to be covering for today. Um, I'd like to point out right off the top of the bat, when we do these in the future, it will usually be airing on the day of the anniversary, but uh, we're we're not we're not doing that for this one. <laughs> but it is a 10-year anniversary of TNA's Victory Road 2011, which of course has the infamous matchup as the main event between Jeff Hardy challenging Sting for the TNA World Heavyweight Championship, which we will be doing a watch along with uh, for the main event. So of course, you know, get ready for that one. We'll tell you all the details when it comes down to it. But of course. I need a co-host. I could do this solo, but I'd be pretty boring. So, of course, I got to call on the man. No, I'm not talking about Mongo McMichaels. I'm talking about the man, the guy, the incomparable Jordan Lloyd. Jordan, how's it going, man? Poor Mongo McMichael. I know, right? Like, all, all jokes aside, it is pretty terrible what's going on with him. But Yeah, I'm pretty good. I'm ready to talk about this shithole pay-per-view. I know. Ten years later, and of course, what we're doing is we're taking a look at a retro pay-per-view from the past, of course, being usually, for again, as I said before, like on the actual anniversary date of an actual pay-per-view. Um, we didn't do it for this one because, well, quite honestly, this came out on March 13th, 2011. And um, honestly, there was a whole bunch of, you know, stuff going on for that month for myself for WrestleMania and then leading up to that. So this was something I still wanted to be able to cover and at least be able to hit that 10 year anniversary mark. And of course, I think it's just one of the shows that with a lot of these shows that we're going to do for the retro reviews, um, just to kind of see, is it really as bad as we thought it was? The answer is yes. And we're going to get it. Jordan, at this point, were you watching impact? Are you still watching Impact? Talk about Impact. I can't talk about Impact now because I don't watch it anymore. And why is that? Besides the fact that Hulk Hogan's not there. Well, the main reason be I mean, if I had the channel it played on, I probably would. But, like, I don't find it – I don't know. I don't find – nothing appealed to me to actually, like, seek out, like, a way on the internet to even try to watch it. Okay. That's back fair. in the heyday, back in the heyday when like this pay-per-view was around, well, maybe not this particular one, but like the four or five years before this one, I was into it every week. I would watch Impact every week. Once they started losing their stars and they started losing their steam, I kind of fell off the wagon. Now, losing their stars, that's actually an interesting thing that you just said there, because of course around TNA, especially around this time, it was a lot of the stars that were coming in that were from the past with you know, from the WWE, WCW, et cetera, et cetera. So, like, of course, they had their homegrown stars, which, of course, they would develop, like your AJ Styles, your Christopher Daniels, your Samoa Joes. But, like, for a while, especially when it comes to this time period, it's your Kurt Angles, your Stings, your Jeff Hardys, your Mr. Andersons, your Hulk Hogan's. Like, do you think, like, that was almost too detrimental when it came to Impact at this time, looking in hindsight, of using more of those stars instead of the homegrown? And do you see like maybe something similar nowadays with uh, AEW? Oh, totally was detrimental. 2010 on probably helped signal or helped ignite the downfall of that company. I say downfall, but they're still around. But like the downfall of the golden age of that company. Okay. 
invested too much money in people who were past their prime, who were from another, who were, who were known as WWE guys. They, the TNA lost their individuality. They lost their uniqueness. And like I said, do you think that's something that AEW has something to worry about now with a lot of like people who get released from WWE? It's like the first thing they go is like, oh, when are they showing up on AEW? Before uh, it used I mean, to be impact. That used, that used to be the old line of like, oh, they got released or oh, this person's contract expired. <laughs> yeah. Uh, if they continue on this trend, it might be something they have to worry about. Yeah, well, I guess we'll have to see. Considering the fact that they've signed like what, like seven ex WWE guys? That's generous. There's there's a lot more than that. Like six months. Yeah. Well, like I said, TNA is still around. Of course, now knows Impact Wrestling, which a lot of people are still watching because you know you still have your homegrown Ontario indie talents that are being represented on there, like your Cody Deaners, Josh Alexanders, et cetera, et cetera. So, of course, you know it is still thriving. It is still doing well. Um, but I mean, Impact, of course, it's not it's not the company that it once was, but it still has at least the prestige of everything that happened in the past that at least gives it some credibility between, you know, some of those championships that people are challenging for nowadays. Yeah. I mean, they've changed they've changed the name of their world heavyweight title like 19 times based on Global Force have, and all this other I have stuff. Like, but. I have like four, three different world titles right now. No, no, it's just the one. No. There's one undisputed champion. It's Kenny Omega. True. Well, yeah. I mean, it's almost like they become like a. It's almost like they become like a place where people can like get themselves over and like reinvent themselves to where they can go on to bigger and better things elsewhere. So I mean, I guess it's good in that regard. All right. Well, again, we're talking about Victory Road 2011. The show took place on March 13th, as we said before. Uh, 2011 in front of the Impact Zone in Orlando, Florida, which means there was no actual attendance taken for this because, well, of course, the Universal Studios connection at that point, which I always wanted to go down to Universal Studios to be able to check out some wrestling. I mean, it sucks that we can't do that now, but, you know, I guess we can go to Daly's Place, try not to get COVID, you know, when the world <laughs> opens up. Well, yeah. <laughs> uh, the buy rate for this pay-per-view was 17,000 buys which surprisingly would not be the lowest of the year for them in 2011. That distinction would actually go to Hard Justice, which only had 7,500 uh, pay-per-view buys. (laughs) So still 17,000 pay-per-view buys, which, you know, you do see the trend now with AEW where they are pulling up over 100,000 pay-per-view buys and whatnot. And I am comparing AEW a lot to Impact Wrestling right now because at that time in 2011, Impact was the number two Britain, like company, you know, in America that was taking on uh, and collecting a lot of these talents that were going to or at least somewhat match any type of possibility for them to rival WWE at that point. So it's kind of interesting to be able to look at them, how they especially now with working with AEW in comparison to, you know, what it is today. So. Oh, you want me to say something? Okay. Well, I was hoping so. I, I looked at you for a second, you know, making great audio there. Um, well, yeah, I mean, it makes sense. There's that AEW is the company that has the most similar parallels to Impact back in that time period, so it makes sense to compare them. Well, let's uh, let's try not to compare any more AEW. Let's just strictly uh, go with the past right now, and let's talk about Victory Road. Your opening contest 
was a no disqualification falls count anywhere match. Fucking great way to start off a pay-per-view. Just go right for just go right for the jugular uh, between Bully Ray and Tommy Dreamer. Um, bit of an old school ECW feel of brawling between these two early in the crowd. Um, lots of comedy involved, including a blow up doll at one point between these two. Cause you know, they had a lightsaber battle not too long ago before at hardcore justice. And then lo and behold, blow up doll shows up in here. Uh, I must say Tommy dreamer and bully Ray looked fantastic at this point in their careers back in 2011, obviously. Um, and even, even to this day, they still have not aged really badly. Uh, and still can like you know pull off some well in the ring. I know a lot of people are like, oh well, Tommy Dreamer, blah 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 blah. But like, no, Dreamer is still actively wrestling regularly. Bully Bully Ray was recently just did a stint in Ring of Honor not too long ago. So like, both these guys are still active competitors in the pro wrestling world. Um, of course, like I said, there was a lot of comedy in this match with the blow up doll. It was at this moment I wasn't sure if I liked Tanay and Taz as a team. But at this point, because while they did sound professional, they just seemed very off. Like, it just sounded like, hey, hey I'm uh, I'm Taz, but I, I sound like that guy. Hey, what's, how's it going? You know, that comedian. I can't remember his name right now. I never thought, I never liked their chemistry. I didn't like Taz and Tanae at all during their entire run. Rodney Dangerfield, that's the comedian I'm thinking of. It sounded like he was just doing his best Rodney Dangerfield impression through the entire pay-per-view. That's funny. There's something about Mike Tanay where it's almost, it's weird. He's he's a great play-by-play guy, but if he has to play off someone else, I don't know. It's it's he, it's always rocky. So you think that him and um, oh god, what was his name? Don West. You think it was Don West let, and Mike Tanay were the better chemistry, or? Let me rephrase that. He had he had good chemistry with Don West. But Taz, no, I don't know. Yeah, today's a great play-by-play guy, but he would some he he could be rocky when he had to like bounce off someone else. Yeah, um, of course, solely if he was calling a show on his own. Yeah, I don't think he could do it. Um, well, who knows? I mean, we won't know now. He's basically retired, I guess. I assume so. Uh, with continuing with the match, though, Terrence and Terrell. Uh, a.k.a. Devon Skins, who are now actually a part of Impact Wrestling, lo and behold, uh, come out before Dreamer gets put through a table to distract the bully. So Devon could actually help Dreamer put Bully through the table with the 3D. Um, this matchup was given one and a half stars by Dave Meltzer. I disagree. This thing was just boring at times and really kind of just, I kind of fell asleep almost at one point watching this. Not a lie. Um, it just... I expected kind of more between these two, and especially with the character of Bully Ray and Tommy Dreamer. I'm not saying I wanted bloodshed and gore like an ECW main event, but like it just felt like, okay, this is your fun, ha-ha warm-up. There's no need for it to be no disqualifications, even with the build-up and whatnot between it. So, like I said, I just thought it was boring. Meltzer gave it one and a half stars. I gave it, I gave it half a star for me. What was your impressions of this matchup? Well, there's too much comedy for something that involved a storyline where Bully Ray beat the shit out of his former partner's two sons live on television to then go to a pay-per-view and be doing gags and jokes with blow-up dolls. Well, it, just, it didn't make sense. And the match wasn't between Devon and Bully. No, it was with Tommy Dream. It's like Tommy Dreamer stepped in to like try to fight Bully Ray for D- on Devon's behalf. So it's like... No, it didn't make sense. It's too too jokey. 
the wrong guy was in the match. It's just, it, I don't, it didn't work. I probably the wrong guy it. also won too. Because if we're gonna do that and like, okay, Dreamer's yeah, fighting on behalf was, of Devon, Bully could have beat him, and then we could have led to a Bully Ray and Devon, you know, yeah, it was matched up down the road. It was like the fr- it was fresh off the start of his heel run, and he loses a match in comedic fashion. Comedic well, even, fa- I wouldn't say comedic fashion, but just like he got punked out really easy. Ha ha! Got put through a table in the same way that he looked like through yeah, a table. He was so. like an idiot. Yeah, it didn't work. That's not how you start off a new heel, a new heel character. It's, it, it, yeah, I'd give it a star, too. You're giving it a star? I'm giving it half a star. I think that's a little mean. I think that's a little nitpicky. But half like a star. I'm sticking with it. I thought about it. It's, okay. on, it's on my notepad. If it's on the <laughs> notepad, it's staying on the notepad. Uh, up next was a interview segment with Chrissy Hemi in the back with uh, the beautiful people and Winter. Love the beautiful people and enjoyed uh, Winter with her mind control kind of character that she was doing. Um, Velvet Sky, just horrific on the microphone, I will say. <laughs> just, just, just terrible. I mean, easy on the eyes at the time, but like, god damn. Like, I just did not care about this promo. And I knew it was leading up to this matchup, and I was so not looking forward to it. I mean, um, what, what's your impression on the? I mean, you love Winter. You've always been a fan of... Uh... You know, I had a huge crush on Winter. Yeah, you did. <laughs> you were asking? What was my impression of Oh, Blake? I was going to say, like, um, you know, first of all, with Christy Hemi, did you like her as the interviewer during this time period? Did you... What was your thoughts on the beautiful people? Obviously, you know, you just said you were kook for Cocoa Puffs when it came to Winter, but what about the I mean, others involved in this? Christy, fine. She... It, it was what it was. She... She wasn't a she wasn't a mean Jean Okerlund. She did her job and whatever. Um, I always liked the beautiful people as a team. I actually thought I thought their their shtick was good before it was overused many years later by many different women mm. and companies. But no, I enjoyed it. I always liked them as a team. Well, up next up was the knockout tag team championship matchup. Between the champions, Angelina Love and Winter, taking on the tag team, uh, number one contenders, rather, of Sarita and Rosita. I completely forgot Selena Vega was a part of Impact. That was the first thing I noticed as soon as she came in. I'm like, hey, I recognize you. Um, first of all, when uh, they came out, though, Sarita and Rosita, what a forced and stupid entrance on the stage. With an equally bad rendition of Smooth by Santana as their theme song. Like, it was just fucking horrendous. I probably thought when I first saw them, like, ooh, that's cool. They're, like, doing some, like, you know, neat little tricks, and they're, like, showing that they're together. But, like, man, it's, like, some bad cheerleading routine that would have been cut in the first round of, like, the, you know, some sort of high school tryout high school thing. They never would have made it to Nationals. That's what I'm trying to say. They would have never even – they wouldn't even gotten the the plug to even get to the competition, let alone make it to Nationals. Um, but of course, like I said, I'm sure I liked it was a team 10 years ago, but now it's just terrible. Um, I was really hoping in my opinion would change, but then Serena started to talk and <laughs> oh God, it was me. <laughs> I, I think that they were the faces, but then when they started to speak Spanish and they got the USJ chance on them, like they just went heel. I'm not entirely <laughs> too sure, but like it was so bad. As soon as she picked up the mic, I'm like, here we go. This is great. Um, I loved 
the theme for the beautiful people. It is such like ear piercing and annoying, but it's so perfect for that team. And it's like, I just, I, I love it. It's probably the best version you were saying before, like other people have done it. It is the best version of the mean girls in wrestling was the beautiful people um, yeah, with Velvet Snow and Sky Hill like, Angelina. They were almost like the contemporary blueprint of that gimmick. It worked yeah. so well. Yeah, so many people tried to copy it over the years. Um, oh, my God. I completely forgot about the let the pigeons loose line from Taz. I forgot that was a thing that, uh, when that, Angelina starts shaking her ass on the second rope. I don't even know what that means. <laughs> I, I, don't I don't know. But all I know is wrestling for women has really come a long way in the last 10 years and obviously for the better. Because, like, the over-sexualization of, like, women in general based on the commentary and the backstage, as we will get into later with beer money, it's just, like, night and day. And even then, this they probably thought this was progressive back in 2011 compared to what it was in 2001. So, like, needless to say, like, obviously, women wrestling, good on you for, you know... You know, well, not good on you for evolving. I shouldn't say that, but good on the wrestling business for evolving so that way women's wrestling has an opportunity to be showcased the way they should be. Uh, Winter coming out wearing a blindfold remind me of that Bird Box movie, which is a good movie, by the way. <laughs> Quiet Place is a superior movie, but okay. Like, no, I, I, I agree it's a superior movie, but, you know, I don't remember, you know, you know, Jim from The Office wearing a blindfold at one point. And Winter War better if he did, so. Just saying, similar concept, better movie. But yeah. I like right. Anyways, this matchup was sloppy. Well, they were like, rushing. Um, like, they were rushing, and from bad hair pulls to shitty tag team moves that just re- were really off with the timing from all four women, I find myself not watching for the story, but just waiting for the next fuck up at that point. <laughs> I like I went in like okay this is a professional wrestling match and at the end I just really want to play the Benny Hill theme like that's how bad it was for me. Um, speaking about bad, the finish. Oh my god. Okay, if what you part- go back besides watching this match, uh, going back and doing the watch along, go back and watch the finish for this matchup. Hebner's on the outside of the ring. It's distracted by Angelina and Sarita. Winter is in the ring. Is watching them argue. While Rosita is standing there with one of the tag belts, which seemed like about 12, 12 and a half years long, waiting for her moment, quote unquote, to hit winter. Uh, she, wasn't when, holding it. she wasn't even holding it right. She was holding no. it like over her head, like she was going to use it like a whip. She, yeah, or like a steel chair. She's like, I'm going to whack this girl right in the head, which, by the way, would hurt like a motherfucker if you hit somebody like that with that belt. Um, when here comes Velvet Sky, late as fuck for this uh for this moment right now, because by now, you know, Rosita could have murdered winter 16 times with the title over, um, makes winter roll her up. But then Sarita comes in, reverses the pin. So Rosita is now covering winter and a millennium finally happens. And then Earl <laughs> Hepner finally realizes, goes into the rings, counts three, and we got new knockout tag team champions. Um, after the matchup, winter and Angelina are pissed at Velva velvet for costing the tag team titles i'm pissed that this ate up part of my life again which means i've actually now watched this match twice um and to top it off we had to hear that stupid theme song again from rosita and sarita so like 
there was so much bad acting from everybody involved, especially at the end with Velvet Sky yelling at them on the outside. Um, <laughs> Meltzer gave this match a dud. That is being generous. I would say that this match was being rated hot garbage, if I could. Not a full-on dumpster fire, but definitely trash that was left out in the sun for too long. So I guess my agreeance will have to be um, a dud as well. I will agree with Dave Meltzer. Um, but what about you? I mean, of course, you know, this was no Steamboat Savage WrestleMania 3, but... Well, what's funny is Impact was always always tried to pride itself on being the company that, like, gave women the spotlight to actually wrestle. But, like, this match was, like, the epitome of everything that women in, like, the WWE were trying to fight against and improve a rushed, sloppy mess that had, like horrible storytelling and by the way that finish when that pinfall got reversed like some people say you gotta suspend your disbelief or your love logic in pro wrestling no fuck that there's no logical way (laughs) there's no logical way that somebody that was half the size of winter could have held her down for that long and still got a three count there's no way so that parlayed with that shitty, oh, I'm going to hit you with the belt. Maybe not. Oh, maybe I am. Maybe not. Oh, there's Velvet. No, that parlayed with that and just the rushed sloppiness of that entire match. Yeah, that's it. I'll, 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 I'll go with the dud for that, too. All right, there we go. Uh, next was the uh, part one of Jeff and Kara Jarrett's honeymoon segments. Because, you know, you got to fill up time somehow. I, uh, I, I don't These were funny. <laughs> All right, so the first one was Jeff was having fun with his kids on the roller coaster. Karen was obviously frustrated because she was hoping it would just be her and her husband, uh, you know, enjoying a normal honeymoon. I'm not sure why I watched that, but okay. It's just, it is. She wanted some sex, and he wanted to be super dad. It was funny. I yeah. thought it was funny. Uh, after that, we go to the backstage again. Matt Morgan is backstage for an interview. He's pissed at Hernandez for costing the chance of the title. Uh, Morgan cannot talk at all, but damn, he is a physical specimen. And like, he just had, he had a good look, but he just definitely needed someone to be that mouthpiece for him. Um, and also I never liked his gear. I thought he always looked really stupid in the speedo trunks, but that's just my personal opinion on his looks and his character. Um, but yeah, so Matt Morgan, the blueprint Good nickname too. I like the I like the moniker. But what did you think about this blueprint of what not to be? Wow. <laughs> What's well, true? Like you, that was just what you just said. He couldn't talk. He was he had a horrible personality. Like he should have been given a manager to talk with talk for him from the start. Mm. But they never did. They just let him keep digging himself into a hole with his horrible promos. Yeah, they uh, they showed the highlight video package leading up for this next matchup. I completely forgot that Hernandez almost killed Doug Williams with that border toss. Right. They played it like six times and every time I squirmed because like obviously Doug Williams, like, he's you know, he's got broad shoulders. Good, you know, good neck. Like the man clearly does some neck bridges. So like whatever. But like, holy shit. You want to talk about putting a guy over like he almost decapitated himself to make Hernandez look like a badass, which never worked. But uh, 
<laughs> what do you mean? Oh, that's not fair. No, come on. In hindsight, like, yeah, Hernandez was cool, but obviously he's always going to be known as, you know, the other member of LAX when it came to Conan and Homicide. I mean, he had the similar problem, too. He couldn't talk worth a shit either. Yeah. Next matchup on the card is a first blood match. So, you know, first matchup, no DQ. Second, women's tag titles. Third match, first blood. I can't wait to see the rest of this hardcore show that would not take place as the t- show went on. Because everything else at that point was pretty much the singles matches. Well, almost except for the match after that. But we'll get to that. First blood match, Hernandez versus Matt Morgan. Uh, even after watching this matchup, I have no idea why this thing was first blood. Like, I watched the video package. I'm not sure why they had to go to first blood. I'm guessing it- based on based on the finish, they didn't want to hurt either guy. But all they did was hurt the company. <laughs> <laughs> I think like from what I saw in the video that I think like the match that they must have had before that ended with like Matt Morgan getting split open. So I guess naturally you go to first blood. I don't know. I don't know. Uh, Morgan also has really shitty music and thank God he ran to the ring. So I didn't have to hear it. <laughs> uh, <laughs> um, I, I appreciate though that a grudge match starts off with a jump start by the face who feels he was robbed of his opportunity at the title. So like, okay, I can understand why. And again, very thankful. Didn't have to listen to the shitty music. Um, yeah, I like them trying to use the weapon as a spike, a la like Magnum CA and Tully at Starcade, trying to cut each other open early on. I thought that was kind of cool. Um, solid big man match overall between these two. Nothing amazing, but nothing that, you know, really hurted my soul. Um, then a fan, we're going to get into the finish here. Then it looks like a fan jumps in, and if it was a plant, they did a hell of a job to make it look legit because, you know, Hebner just kicking the shit out of any fan is hilarious. Um, Morgan gets a I had to try to go back through my memories to remember if that actually was a fan. I'm pretty sure it wasn't. Again, just based on the actual spot and everything that took place, I think that's how it was supposed to be. But, like, again, I think they did a really good job of making that look real and again if it was real then even better um morgan gets a chain nails hernandez hernandez crawls into the corner and sells so obviously that he's blading to the cameraman just watching him do it when the production truck wouldn't the production truck would not change camera angles and clearly this guy's by just doing this yeah, what idiot in the truck was like, let's keep the camera on him. We can see what he's doing. Like whoever whoever did that should have been fired. Yeah. Then when we finally do break from that camera angle, then for some reason Brian Hebner is selling outside the ring from something. Maybe a <laughs> ghost hit him. I don't fucking know. Mike today gave some like haphazard excuse, like, oh, and all the commotion. Referee Brian Hebner got knocked down on the floor. <laughs> I don't know. And then Hernandez goes in the corner squirt some red liquid that looked like bad ketchup all over the chest of Matt Morgan. Another referee, Jane, Jackson James, who would later we'd also know as uh, Garrett, uh, Garrett Bischoff, sees the fake blood and calls for the fucking bell. The fans are pissed. I was for a minute before remembering what company I was watching, and then I was like, eh. <laughs> uh, it was a decent match. It was ruined by another screwy finish, which is code for a la AEW lately, especially after the fucking, you know, blood and guts matchup. But, you know, that's a whole nother topic. Uh, Meltzer gave this match also a dud 
I, however, I'm going to give it a half a star because I thought it was a decent big man match and doing stuff to try and cut each other open using the steps and the whatever before the finish completely, you know, killed any momentum whatsoever between these two. Um, so I'm going to give it a half a star. Meltzer gave it a dud. What say you? Well, like, what the hell was the logic in the squirting the blood? All- he didn't even squirt it on his face. He squirted it no. on his chest. And then when the referee comes in the ring, could the referee not see there's no discernible cut or location where this blood was coming from? Right. He just saw blood and rang the bell. <laughs> he was like, a bull. Was- he saw red and charged for the bell. <laughs> Yeah, like, I would have at least, like, squirted it in his eyes or in his forehead or something. But, like, know. no. Like, that, that, again, something else that made no sense. Like, watching, probably watching this back then, I probably was like, oh, cool, all right. That's a creative finish. Now, grow, like, getting older and looking at this now, I'm like, wow, that fucking sucked. Yeah. Again, like, it's just... I think they were just trying to be able to protect both individuals, but all they did was just harm both individuals, especially going back in hindsight, watching this. It's just, it did nothing for their careers. It did nothing for the company. And like I said, I was mad. And then I'm just like, yeah, it's impact. Yeah, it's TNA. But then there's one other thing. Like if they were going to do that finish, why did Hernandez even need to blade himself anyway? (laughs) Well, no, they had to, they had to show that there was blood originally before there was blood before you know what i mean so like i get why he still had to bleed but like i just i i'm already giving this match way too much time that it needs to give it so uh we move on to our next backstage promo there's a lot of these on this show uh with generation me me jeremy and max buck young young (laughs) the young young bucks yeah (laughs) apparently um, Nick said that if Matt is going to win tonight, uh, they're going to let Matt win because it's his birthday. The whole Holy promo shit. sucked. Yeah, uh, they're a lot be- yeah, they're all, they're a lot better now, um, than what they were here. But honest to God, even after watching AEW, that's not saying much because their promos are still not that great. Well, <laughs> I know, uh, if Jeff talking- Smith hears this, I'm so sorry for dissing your boys, but you know. Like you could tell he was not comfortable speaking when that camera was on him. No, not at all. As you probably heard me just take a giant drink into the microphone. I don't even care. Ugh. And then, of course, we had Frankie Kazarian cutting a backstage promo. Frankie looks older here than he does now. <laughs> With it's that fucking weird, haircut. It's the weird feathered hair. <laughs> yeah. The promo was fine. Like, there was nothing really wrong with it uh, until he said the other of the words, I quote, I'm just like Charlie Sheen winning. Hey, man, it, like, it was topical at the time. It was, <laughs> it was topical at the time. Instantly, I zoned out for the remainder of this interview and just waited for the, uh, you know, for more things to happen. Um, backstage earlier in the day, we get Robbie E and Cookie. Outside, cutting a Jersey Shore-like promo about trying to get their belt back. Man, Fuck, I forgot. I forgot how in shape. Uh, I Robert forget his Stone. NXT. Well, oh, Robert Stone. Robert Stone. I forgot how in shape he was here and how much I of a douchebag he was. I also forgot how annoying Cookie was. Oh, but she did her job so well. I know. That's why it was great. Like, I forgot how actually legitimately annoying she was. Yeah. 
which of course leads us then to the ultimate X matchup for the X division title. Again, like to point out no DQ match tag titles, first blood ultimate X. Didn't know I was watching fucking bound for glory right now. That was a TNA staple. They always packed like seven gimmick matches on every pay-per-view. Yeah, but like, all right. right That's just what they did. Well, again, because you know, Frankie Kazarian was defending his title against Jeremy and Max Buck uh, and Robbie E. Robbie E, like I said before, is makes a such a good douchebag level heel. Like as soon as he came out, you just instantly want to punch this guy in the face and run over his toes. Like I just, yeah, like it's just great. I mean, at the time, I'm sure we were all sick of him, but now looking back, it's like, oh yeah, every company needs one of these kind of characters. Um, this match had a lot of high spots, as you would expect. I feel like this is the only match that you can kind of really throw, you know, something like this. Um, how am I trying to say this? I feel like this is the only match that you can like throw ring psychology right out the window because it's the nature of the match. Like you're expecting like just one spot to the another to another to another. Like it is a car crash match. So like I don't know. Like again, these matches are very popular with a lot of people, especially the older ones. Um, but I just felt like the chemistry was just really off with a lot of these guys throughout. And I don't know if it's because you had the mixture of the the heel team with the other heel douchebag with this the plain ass baby face as your champion and a really cold X division match. I don't I don't really know. Um you said it off the top. I forgot how annoying Cookie is. Uh she is fantastic though, and she makes me want to see her and Vicky Guerrero in a shouting match for some reason. Who was she? Do we know she, who she was? Her name was Cookie. But do we know who she actually was? Uh, no, I didn't do that much research. No, I mean, I wrote a whole bunch of notes, but I didn't go back that far. I'm going to have to look into that to see if she still does anything in the wrestling business. Well, there you go. Um, Robbie E. got little to no off- offense this entire goddamn match. But honestly, it kind of worked for the character. Literally, literally, my next part of my notes. And honestly, that's good. He's not a traditional X division guy. He shouldn't be doing all that shit. Yeah. Of course you saw like a lot of different high spots off the cables, which is, you would expect the match ends with the bucks. Excuse me. Jen, me agreeing for each other that Matt's going to go for the belt again, because it's his birthday. Nobody cares. Yeah, like just because it's like, you're going to let me win because but before they can get it, Robbie E grabs a ladder, starts climbing it uh, to try and grab the um, the title. I honestly thought after the last match that we just saw and the finish, I was pro- I thought to myself, yeah, this is probably the finish. I completely bought it 100%. Like, oh yeah, he's gonna win. He's not only gonna win the title. <laughs> this is how. Just sure. like fuck the, fuck the whole concept of the Ultimate X. Um, Could have been the using a ladder. He just caught the X after it fell. Oh yeah. Uh, however, Kaz starts walking the rope at the top, has a tug of war with the belt with Robbie E, and ultimately takes control of the title and regains the title. Um, well, he regains the title. No, he regained the title in his arms, and then he had to fall onto the ground, and then he retained the title. <laughs> True. I know they were because, waiting. You, know, you got you got to hit the mat with that thing. Remember, yeah. as you said, I love Petey Williams. Um, I feel like in hindsight that this match was just uh, we need an X division title match and we need to use all these guys, but a four way would just be flat. So let's make it an ultimate X 
because then it'll be somewhat exciting. Meltzer gave this match three and a half stars. Of course, this was probably the birthplace of his uh, uber boner that he would have for the Young Bucks for the rest of his life. Um, (laughs) I think that honestly just being generous. Yes, there were some crazy bumps, but it was fine. But honestly, I still was flat because I think it's just because of the people that were involved. And because of that, I'm, I'm going to give this match, though, two and a half stars because of the effort that was involved, um, the athleticism that was displayed. Um, I didn't mind the finish because of the tug of war thing. I did like the idea of Robbie E trying to use the ladder. Um, I just thought like the wrong players were involved and it was a little flat. But overall, two and a half stars for me. What about you? Well, I mean, I'll say this. It was a good it was a good mid-card pay-per-view match, but as an ultimate X match, it was meh. Like, you're not going to go back in the annals of time and be like, oh, man, you know, all the great X Division championship matches and ultimate right. X, and then, oh, did you like, remember that one with Robbie E? God X- damn, that match was great. The ultimate X matches, I don't know, over time, they just became very tame. Like, they took less risks, but like that, and that was like what put that match on the map. And that was like what honestly kind of made stars in the X division was the creativity they could do in that match. But they, yeah, they, it, they became very tame over time. So like as an ultimate X match, it was, it was, a, it was okay. It was passable, but on a quick well, that's question, the thing. quick question though, would you not say at, a, at there was a time when the X division title could have been considered one of the most, I don't know if I want to say important, one of the bigger titles in North America. I would agree with that just because of not only who was holding it, but because the matches that you aspired to be in and because it was a new, it was like a new cruiserweight championship, but it wasn't set obviously, you know, with the whole no limits type thing. Um, It was a championship that a lot of people wanted to hold because it was a division that could fit everybody. And it was like that hundred mile an hour kind of match. Which, of course, you know, would slow down when people like Samoa Joe or other people would hold the title. And now I feel like because of the X Division, it spawned a whole generation of pro wrestlers that literally just wrestle X Division matches every single night in every single match. And they don't stand out from each other anymore because everyone's doing the same shit over and over and over again. True. So, I mean, in that respect, I mean, that that could be a detriment that that championship caused. But, like the talent that held it and like the matches they had, like your Samoa Joe's, your AJ Styles, your Chris Sabin's, your Kazarian's. I mean, like, it's a shame that like that championship kind of like lost its steam over the years. I agree. I mean, hopefully now with uh, Josh Alexander as your current and brand new X division champion, that will hopefully be on the upward swing because if someone here in Ontario is going to you know, put the workhorse behind that championship, it would be someone like him. Um, up next was uh, Jarrett's Honeymoon Part 2. Woo! Can't wait. The kids are really enjoying pizza as Karen is so annoyed and wants to go back to the hotel. Jeff approaches her and tempts her with something that's big and bubbly. Turns out to be more pizza. I mean, pizza and roller coasters for a honeymoon does sound pretty badass. I'm just saying. Um, I mean, don't tell my wife that because I did have a good time on our honeymoon. Um, by the way, um, what a name for Karen to have actually in real life, considering what we consider a Karen now in 2021, <laughs> like in hindsight, just hilarious. 
Um, the scene ends with Jeff in front of his kids telling that Kater, later on Karen is going to get wet. Not weird at all. Just weird. Just creepy. Blech. Moving on. Um, anything anything to add to that, or are we just gonna? Well, I mean, can we not admit though that Karen Karen was great? <laughs> oh no, Karen in her role, like I, in some aspects, was better than Guerrero. Someone who never had any inclination or any desire to ever be in that role became such a natural at it. Mm-hmm. Probably one of the better female antagonists of the late 2000s and the early 2010s, for sure, when it came to just pro wrestling in general, not just impact. Um, up next was a backstage interview with Fortune's Beer Money. I forgot how much I love Beer Money. Easily the best tag team in TNA at the time. And of course that's why they were the tag team champions. Uh, they were just having fun, uh, you know, just joking around before making Christy Hemby bend over and then, you know, being pigs. <laughs> and then, and then, you know, Christy Hemi was offended as she should. And then they're like, are you offended? Well, that's how we feel. And then they went to a fucking serious promo after that. It's like, uh, did you not just make this woman, like a fucking object just like 10 seconds ago. But now she's just going to forgive you guys and move on and just talk him in this fucking serious promo. Oh man. I just, uh, we, I, the amount of times that women have just been embarrassed over and over and over in the industry. I am, like I said, off the top, I am so happy for the women in professional wrestling now to be actually be, you know, given the opportunities that they have, because like you just look back at shit like this and they were just cannon fodder for the guys every single time just to be sexual objects. It's like I said, it was funny because that company was always, there were always the ones that like pride themselves and it was going to be different for women there. I don't know. Um, and of course, you know, this was leading up for the next matchup, which was Beer Money defending their tag team titles against Ink Ink, Shanna Moore and Jesse Neal. The Book of Dilly Gaff, wherever the fuck oh, that Oh, I'm getting there. Yeah, Shannon Moore with his Book of Dilly Gaff. Uh, the taglines before this matchup were not necessary whatsoever. They pointed they? out the obvious. I, I like the idea and the concept of them, but I think that, like, they would be better suited for like a really like maybe even just the main event or like a big match scenario. It didn't need to be every goddamn championship matchup. You're like, like oh, I'm, let's go to the let's go to the X Factor lines. Let's go to the the tag lines. Let's go to the. What do they gotta team. do? <laughs> what do they gotta do? Well, they gotta pin them. <laughs> do you not remember? Do you not remember that I'm pretty sure every time we watched one of these pay-per-views and they did those, I'm pretty sure I said the same thing every time that, oh, here comes the state, the obvious points. Yep. Yeah, like, oh, Sting's going to be wrestling tonight. Oh, you know, he's his age is going to be a factor. Oh, well, you know, his age is going to be a factor compared to that. <laughs> <laughs> oh, fuck. Of course, like I said, so Ink Ink came out first. Shani Moore with the book of Dilly Gap. I love the look of Ink Ink. Like, they had a really cool, different look from everybody else at that time, which was, you know, makes them unique and stand out, which, as someone in wrestling, is always good. Um, Then you had Beer Money come out, and they just look like stars, like two pro-looking guys, just, like, looking like money, no pun intended. I wish 
that these guys in 2011 were wrestling right now at the age that they are back then. Because think about the matchups they'd be able to have with some of these guys. And now, after thinking about it, I really want to see a beer money versus FTR match. Well, I mean, let's be honest here. That would require James Storm to actually leave Impact Wrestling. Well, no. I'm, I'm saying, like, in general. Like, imagine, like, beer money from 2011 is the, how they are in 2021. Like, the same sure, age, I mean, same be, Sure, I mean, that'd be great. But, like, people would either have to go to Impact Wrestling because James Storm just never wants to leave, or he would actually have to leave Impact Wrestling. No, that's fair. Uh, in the opening of the match, Taz says that he likes both teams and is digging Neil's look and how he reminds him of Tommy Trojan, which I had to do some research who the fuck Tommy Trojan was. He apparently is a mascot for the University of Southern California. How the fuck is anyone supposed to know that? Unless you're from Southern California. <laughs> I don't know. But people around the world, like me, assumed that as soon as he said Tommy Trojan, I thought that was the name of the guy from the Trojan Condoms logo. Or a porn star. Like, honestly, like, my bad for not knowing university mascots in the United States. Yeah. Like, I felt like, like, whatever. Uh, this matchup was good, pacing throughout, minus Taz putting himself over on commentary every two minutes. Um, the referee <laughs> lost all control of this match at one point. And that then means- again, whatever. Um, but again, that's just impact, just being impact. Um, I forgot how over beer money, uh, was with that taunt when they hold the whole, the beer money with the, the audience and getting them involved. Um, you know, the, you know, the one that they made, you know, Christy Hemby bend over for, you know, yeah. good times. Uh, Shannon Moore eventually gets frustrated and grabs a steel chain to hit beer money, but Neil tells him not to do it. Uh, the yep. moment of relief was enough for Storm to take out Neil. Then Beer Money hits their tag team finish on Moore uh, to get the win and retain the tag titles. Uh, anything you want to say before we get into the post-match? Yeah, saying the referee lost all control is being very generous. <laughs> he more than lost control. He just gave up enforcing the rules. He didn't even try. There were, it was a it was a it was like a four way Texas there was it was, a, it was a Texas tornado tag match for the last eight minutes and which really thinking about that a lot of TNA tag team matches well always went that way it always had the same premise of like tag and then everything just ends in a breakdown it would just, it would just break down after for like the final like six seven minutes and all logic would just go right out the window oh so that's why AEW does. A lot of the same stuff then. Okay. <laughs> Makes total sense. Um, post-match, Jesse Neal wanted to shake hands with Beer Money for having a great match, which it wasn't. But, you know, in his eyes, he probably thought it was. But Moore is pissed about losing, spits beer in Storm's face, and can argue with each other as they go up the ramp. Meltzer gave this match two and three-quarter stars. I give it two stars. Um, it was a fine match. There was nothing really to say that it was good or bad. It was just... a you know, a solid match overall between these two. The right team obviously won. And then, of course, you're showing the dis, uh, the, the state of the ranks or whatever between uh, both Neil and Moore at the end of it. So what about you? Uh, yeah, I'd probably go two stars. I mean, it was adequate. It wasn't it wasn't one of the tag team classics that Beer Money had during that run at that time. Yeah, it could have been it was Backstreet. a very fine impact match. Yeah. Backstage, cold-blooded Matt Hardy and Ric Flair back there. I forgot Matt Hardy had this nickname as well. 
And dreads. And dread. Oh, we'll get into that. You just give me two more minutes on that one. Uh, it was nice to see Flair not looking like the Crypt Keeper here back in 2011. So that was really nice. Yeah. Um, <laughs> he was just starting to lose terror, but yeah. Yeah. Matt Hardy says he learned from the best uh, about talking before giving the most blah promo of the night against My God. for his match against AJ Styles. He looks stoned as fuck. Uh, you know, he was talking about, you know, mentioning, he mentioned AJ Styles, talking about rainbows and unicorns. Apparently, this is him learning from Ric Flair as one of the best of all time, which, if that's the case, then Ric Flair needs to do a really fucking better job <laughs> of teaching people how to promo. Um, AJ Styles and Matt Hardy is up next between them. Um, I always preferred AJ with the short hair rather than the soccer uh, mom haircut that he has now. But that's just me because, you know, growing up on old school AJ Styles. What a badass theme. We've been talking about some shit themes all night for TNA. AJ Styles. Holy shit. What a great theme song. The Get Ready to Fly song. Uh, which one, out of curiosity, which one do you like better? Is TNA theme here or is current WWE one? Because both of them are just great tracks. I mean, both of them are two completely different songs for the, based on the character, but... I always preferred his TNA theme, but if I had to choose, I actually liked his original TNA theme the most. Like, his very, very first one. Oh, yeah, the... Yeah, that one. That one was always that was my a, That was a horrific impersonation of a song. <laughs> that one was always my favorite, but this one was great, too. Um... Well, there you go. I, I, I think I'm going to have to go with, you know, yeah, the original, original TNA theme was cool. But again, I think AJ, as I've said this before with other people in the past, he was just blessed with good theme music. He's just one of those guys that just has always had good theme music, even with his, uh you know, his heel one that he had, you know, the evil ways one and then going into ROH and everywhere else. So good on him. Uh, then, of course, you know, here comes another shitty theme song which was called blooded matt hardy's <laughs> um matt hardy comes out looking like a grunge looking version of wcw's three count so that was cool with his, stu- yeah. with his stupid fucking dreads the commentators are cutting each other apart cutting uh, sorry the commentators cutting each other off rather during hardy's entrance was just awkward as hell uh, the crowd was split about 60-40 for AJ as both men go back and forth in the opening minutes of the match. Ric Flair interferes a bit during this matchup, and honestly, very refreshing to see a manager actually passionate enough to give a shit and interfere in his matches. Because I feel like everybody else nowadays just stands there like a bump on a log. You're talking about Paul Heyman, aren't you? I'm talking about Paul Heyman, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, at one point, AJ Styles gets whipped into the guardrail on the outside, but manages to baseball slide underneath the rails of the of the guardrail, which is already small to begin with, then springboards on top of the rail, and then at Hardy with a nails a forearm, which was really cool, and is like completely forgotten about because like the commentators almost like talked over it. But it was like anywhere else, I feel like that would have been like highlight reels for the rest of the year. Um, just because of how different and unique it was, which of course with well, AJ Styles, you can only te- expect something like that. Technically, he has done that before. That I did, I know he's done that before, but like it's nice when he pulls it out of nowhere once in a while, just you. like the I finish, which we'll get into. Oh yeah. Uh, 
Uh, Matt Hardy does a great job, as expected, slowing down the pace of this matchup, being a ring general with AJ. Uh, Flair is hilarious outside the ring, being loud, being over obnoxious, being sounding like a pissed off uncle who's had too many drinks. Um, I really like the chemistry between these two in the ring. Uh, AJ does better, in my opinion, uh, with someone that can kind of slow him down at this point in his career and do more storytelling rather than just rely on the high spots and whatnot. Near the end of the matchup, Flair pokes AJ in the eyes blatantly right in front of the referee. Like, <laughs> yeah. Referee was standing right there. A- Flair's on the apron and just boom, right in the eye. Convenient um, referees in the business. And then takes and then Flair takes a really shitty looking Pele kick, and then he obviously oversells it like he just got punched by Andre the Giant <laughs> and fell to the outside. Um, Matt hits a moonsault and then uh, AJ kicks out at two. Matt goes for the twist of fate, counters, and AJ hits a, a more impactful Pele kick. AJ goes up to the top and actually hits the spiral tap, gets the three count and the win. That move is just a thing of beauty, especially because, and it's even more impressive because he very rarely hits it um, in professional wrestling. And when you do, it's almost kind of like that's the definitive boom. That's the end of the match because. He does it so, you know, as I said, rarely. Uh, what did you think about this matchup before we get into the post-match and what Meltzer thought? I mean, it was good. Yeah, it's always sick to see him whip out the spiral tab. Again, like you said, he only he always does it once in a blue moon. I don't even think he does it at all anymore. Um, criticism I would have, I thought it was too long. Yeah, this like, matchup went like 17 and a half minutes almost. Almost 20 minutes. Like, that was way too long for this. Like, you could have you could have cut it down to, like, 13 or 14 maybe less than 30 maybe 12 you could have done like 12 minutes to me and you still could have got the same result yeah but yeah other than that i mean sorry go ahead no no go ahead go go but i mean other than that like yeah it was fun it was a good little match i just thought it was too long yeah post-match aj uh walks up to rick flair and low blows him just for all the times he grabbed him by the crotch did you? Did it clearly look like Flair didn't know he was gonna do that? No. <laughs> yeah. Because he looked at him when he did it, and then he looked down and was like, "Oh shit, he low blowed me. I gotta sell." Like he looked like he didn't even tell him he was gonna do that. Uh, Meltzer gave this match three and a quarter stars. I say it was a good three star matchup. Again, I like the chemistry between these two. Good finish at the end. Flair getting involved is also really fun. Not a big fan of the referee completely ignoring the rules like a fucking eye poke by the outside interference. But, you know, after what after the atrocities we've seen so far on this pay-per-view, that was the least of my concern. Um, yet you liked the tag match before this, even though the referee just stopped enforcing the rules. Whatever. <laughs> just, to be honest with you, because in tag matches, I've given up with people enforcing the rules. They're like, as soon as there's more than two people in the ring, referees are like, oh, hold on. I've lost count. I can't deal with this anymore. He even stopped trying to tell them to get out of the ring. He just stood there. He just stood there and watched it happen. Yeah. Uh, Honeymoon segment part three was up now. Karen is fuming at Jeff not wanting, about not wanting to go on any more rides at the theme park. Jeff thinks he's figured out what's missing in their honeymoon. It's Kurt Angle. So strange. <laughs> I just so fucking weird. Jared vows then to make a truce on impact this Thursday before their kids run in and they all get soaked with water. So yes, Karen got wet. Ha ha ha. That's a good point. 
Even she was like, bring up my ex-husband of my honey. Um... Backstage interview then with Mr. Anderson. Anderson makes a bunch of uh, screwing Dixie Carter jokes before he hypes up his matchup with RVD. Um, objectifying women. What? I said once again, objectifying women. Yep. And of course, uh, ends uh, the promo with nice guys finish last, bad guys finish last, douchebags finish dead last, but assholes always finish first. Um, Of course, this was during his asshole phase. I was always... A fan of Mr. Anderson, I I, I don't know why. It was a, so you know the different promo technique. He was you know basic in the ring, but he didn't need to be the flashy kind of whatever. So I don't know. I was always an Anderson fan at that point, and or Kennedy as you may prefer to call him. So what about yourself? I mean, I was at the time, but like it's very clear that he was a bit of a flash in the pan. Because where is he now? Well, he was on NWA recently. Even still, like he's done, he's done like next to nothing of note in like the last what several years. Yeah. Well, up next up was Mr. Anderson taking on RVD for a number one contenders matchup. I like the hype package between these two, except for the fact that um, it had Saving Private Ryan music playing over top of it for some reason. Um, and then it just ends abruptly and goes right to the entrances. It's like RVD was in mid thought, and then it just like the curse, and then it's RVD <laughs> taking on Mr. Anderson. It's like, all right, well, I guess they're done. Let's, well, let's, you let's know, move on to the imp- match. My bad. It's impact. It's like go, go, go. We got to get to the next thing. Go, 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 go. Um, I said this before off camera many times throughout my entire life, and now I can officially say it on here. RVD's TNA theme is possibly one of the worst themes in the history of professional wrestling. This song that. fucking sucks. I always said that too. Oh my god. I, I, I forgot how bad it was. Do you remember we made our own lyrics? No, I don't remember our own lyrics. Uh, we'll have to go over that again sometime because that was really funny. But yeah, it's bad. It's terrible. <laughs> Uh, Anderson comes out to a chant of assholes and he does his classic Kennedy slash Anderson entrance. Uh, I, like I said before, I used to be such a big fan of him. I don't know if it was just him being different from everybody else on the microphone at the time. And, you know, it just was unique or I was just a big fan of the, uh, the old school microphone coming down, but be that as it may, uh, the open exchange between the crowd, uh, was definitely a 50, 50 split between, uh, both competitors, you know, the chant the fans uh sorry the chanting rather of we are assholes rvd we are assholes rvd uh very sloppy exchange between these two in the opening minutes like very sloppy not sure if there was just a styles clash or if one of them was hurt but it was consistent throughout the match rvd went through it for his signature guardrail spot at one point um you know the assisted guardrail spin kick that he likes to do but anderson moved out of the way way and nailed his leg off the steel rail the match just stops and starts a lot because of the amount of miscommunication that these two have. At one point, they clunked heads after RVD was coming out of the corner after his shoulder was posted. On the floor, Anderson hits the mic check on RVD on the rampway, causing a double countout. The fans boo because of the results. 
and a hilarious chant battle starts with restart the match and the other section saying no. <laughs> um, and uh, honestly, I'm going to have to agree with the second set of chanting of no for restarting this matchup. Um, the match itself was just flat, boring. Again, a lot of miscommunication lackluster finish because you were building up this number one contenders and then of course you don't want to beat anybody even though it's a pay-per-view we got to get to the the next bit of the story which i'm sure there's a reasoning for it but you know in a bubble it's like all right well a very crappy match with two guys that did not have chemistry ending in a double count out is your co-main event of the evening after everything we already just saw i just uh, what about you well, who thought it was a good idea to advertise a number one contenders match to take place and then have no winner? Like, what kind of fucking dumb idea in creative? Who like who pitched that? We're gonna do a number one contenders match, and by the way, it's gonna be a double count out. Like, who thought that was a great idea? And also, too, how dumb does it make Anderson look to do a move on the ramp to get himself counted out? Like, I, think that's a, I was I was thinking the same thing too. I didn't write that part down. <laughs> like, how, like that's I think one of the things that kind of made his career fizzle out is just jackass booking that made him look like an idiot. Like that definitely didn't do him any favors. Yeah, but no, you're right. It Mel- was a sloppy match, dude. Very sloppy. Uh, Meltzer gave this one and three quarter stars. I think he's being very nice. Um, I gave it, I gave it a half a star for myself. Um, and like I said, I'm like, well, at this point, I remember watching this live. I think I watched this one live. I'm pretty sure I did. And then I'm thinking to myself, I'm like, man, after all the finishes, at least we're going to get a good solid main event. And, uh, well, uh, I mean, we'll, we'll, we'll get into that. Cause again, we're going to be doing our, our watch along with that. But any final thoughts on, uh, Anderson RVD before we, uh, we move ahead. I mean, not really. It's very it was a, what that match was basically speaks for itself. A very short, botch-filled snooze fest. Yeah. Uh, backstage promo before the main event. Jeff Hardy cuts a short promo about idolizing Sting. Takes off his glasses and promises to take him his belt. Uh, kick Sting's ass and bring everyone back to reality. Honestly, short. Sweet to the point. I liked it. Very heel like, and I had no problems with this. Do you think he was high during that promo? I mean, I don't want to speculate, but again, regardless, I think it was still a good short promo for the time being. Considering Jeff's not known for good promos. Yeah, true. I mean, fair. Video yeah. pack. The video package shows how Sting got into the business, was proud to be a part of TNA, but then left when Hogan arrived and didn't want to repeat WCW uh, and Jeff Hardy for the TNA title after wanting to help make a change again and take down Immortal. Um, Good reasoning, at least for the story, and the potential for this matchup could be very decent considering who was involved and obviously the limitations that Sting did not have based on his age. Uh, based, you know, on the 10-year gap between now and then. And, of course, Jeff Hardy, who was really trying to find who he was at this point, and, of course, being given such a huge opportunity, going heel and being pretty much the face of the entire heel faction with Hogan and Flair and Bischoff and whatnot. So 
I mean, all the potential in the world was there for this matchup. Um, but like I said, right now, we're actually going to be doing our special watch along for this. Now, we're going to be doing this for all of the main events from now on when we do our retro reviews. And um, so what I'm going to have you guys do is just search TNA Victory Road 2011 online. Just put that in Google. TNA Victory Road 2011 online. Scroll down a couple links. You'll see ImpactWrestling.com's official page. You click on that, and it'll bring you right to the pay-per-view, So, which is actually really convenient. Uh, then you scroll ahead to 2 hours, 27 minutes, and 11 seconds for the main event. So, again, that's 2-27-11. So, again, I just want to clarify before we get into this matchup, and I think it's very something we need to bring up as well. For this matchup, we're not going to be making fun of this matchup itself while we're watching it or Jeff Hardy, because we all know like the demons that he was dealing with at this time. In hindsight, addiction is a polarizing and serious topic for us to make fun of, and it's just it wouldn't be right. It's just more like it's, it is sad to kind of see how things went down. Uh, we, however, are going to do this watch along because, again, as I said, it is the main event. And honestly, this is one of the hardest blows of TNA at the time that they had to suffer through because it hurt their, percep- per- that hurt their perception rather, and their image of Jeff Hardy, especially going in the future. So let's just see how this goes. We'll talk about what's going on backstage during this time. We'll play armchair quarterback, you know, maybe during it and afterwards and uh, give our uneducated opinions of what we could have done differently in this situation. But uh, Jordan, are you ready? I'm getting queued up. Because I had the window open and it closed on me and it restarted. So give me one. Unbelievable. Okay, well, while Jordan does that, what we're going to be doing is I'm going to give you a countdown. I'm going to say three, two, one, play. And when I finish saying the word play, it's when you guys are going to hit the word play, or hit the word play. I'm an idiot. <laughs> when I say play, you're going to click play, and then we're going to all watch this together. And then, of course, we're just going to talk about it as well. So, of course, good. keep the sound on if you keep the sound. Well, good. <laughs> keep the sound on if you'd like or don't um, for the actual show. So that way you can kind of hear us talk about it as we're watching it. So as I said, it's 2-27-11 into the uh, link that you can find on impactwrestling.com's site for Victory Road 2011. And of course, like I said, I'm going to say 3-2-1-play. At the end of the word play, you're going to press play and we're going to watch this. Okay? So right now we're going to watch the main event of TNA Victory Road 2011. And we're going to be taking this... Uh, we're just going to be doing it right now between Jeff Hardy challenging Sting for the World Heavyweight title in three, two, one, play. All right, so there's the uh, the logo coming up with that really horrific looking fucking title. They didn't change it for weeks. They didn't change it for months. It's no, they. I like how they took a oh, there's the tail of the tape. There we go. I like how there was a shine on the belt. They couldn't even take a nice picture with the belt. Six one two twenty five Swan Tom six two two fifty Scorpion Deathlock. What a terrible picture of Sting too. <laughs> What's with the red X? I I don't know. Oh, there we go. Tail of the tape, which again makes sense. Sting's shocking return leads to the title win. You know, caught him out of nowhere. 
beat Jeff Hardy in Carolina of all fucking places too. I'd just like to say, uh, with Hogan in control, can Immortal regain gold? Like that's a question. That's not even. A, like, <laughs> I don't know. I don't know how, what has that has to do with the tail of the tape. It's not even real. Occurs. No excuses tonight for Jeff Hardy. He has to fight Sting. I mean, there will be excuses later on, but. Once again, stating the obvious. Yeah. And here we go. And if I believe, yeah, it would have been Jeff Hardy coming out first. Yeah, it's Jeff Hardy. Yeah. Now, what do you think of the theme song? I was actually just going to say, I preferred this one over his for his other TNA theme. I hated his other TNA theme. See, now right actually, here. Go ahead. Go ahead. No, go, go. I was going to say, right here is where you can kind of get an inkling that something's wrong. It took him like 40 seconds to come out here. Yeah. Which could have been just like the heel milking the audience. Could have just been taking his time. Whatever. Um Cool visual, though, with, like, the lights and the pyro or the, the smoke and everything. And then here he comes right here. Like, right and now, he's very low energy. Which, of course, could be just Jeff playing the character, singing the song, you know, being creepy or whatever. But, of course, in hindsight, we know Jeff's going through a lot of stuff right now. Of course, you know, there's been different podcasts right now that have stated, you know, people who were working backstage like Eric Bischoff saying that like, you know, no one could find Jeff the entire show. He would hide away. And then, you know, no he would just show up like a minute before, or like a minute before the matchup. And then is where, you know, something's wrong. He tried to take that guy's flag. And then right here. Yeah. Slip going up the steps. And then uh, Bischoff was saying, like, he saw him at the entranceway and, like, they they knew they had to call an audible or they had to be able to figure this out because this had the potential of being very serious for both individuals in the ring, especially if one person is as out of a state of mind as, you know, they are, as Jeff Hardy was. Yeah. All right, we talked, got- sorry to cut you off. We talked about shitty theme songs here. Man, oh man, oh man. I hated, hated this song. From <laughs> great jacket though. That's a nice jacket. But uh high pitched electric guitar. I I just did not like it. And of course, you know, everyone was hoping Sting would be in WWE at this point, but nope, still was riding that wave and wasn't giving up on TNA at this point, so I, I think wonder, it's because of, go ahead. I wonder, I wonder if he knew coming out here what his condition was. I don't he think he out. did. You don't think he did? No, again, just based on other reports that I've heard, I don't think he really knew what was going on. I think he like he Jeff was just like in the zone or whatever, or like he was just doing his own thing. I really don't think that he had any inclination of what was going on and you know, as we would see with uh, Bischoff going to be coming out here in a few minutes, it just it kind of changed the entire dyna- dynamic of the match, or you know, lack thereof, I should say. There's Jeff, and uh, there's Jeremy Borash, pencil neck geek. 
<laughs> See, like watching this live the first time, it's like there's little things that you wouldn't pick up on. Like you would think like Jeff's just on the floor because he's like, okay, I need some space because he's being the heel. I'm going to yep. get in the ring ready for it. Oh, they're going to show that stupid belt. There it is. Which I get why they changed it, because, like, the immortal title and to honor Jeff Hardy, the Antichrist, he was calling himself a professional wrestling. I get that, but it's like, I'm sorry. Once you lose it and somebody else has it for longer than you had it, change it back. What do you think of uh, Borash as the an announcer? Or he's, got ring, voice, ring he's, got good, he's got a good voice. I don't think he's a great ring announcer. He's an okay ring announcer. I think he's a better interviewer. Same. Seems like there's moments where he doesn't look like there's anything wrong with him. Then there's other times where you can clearly tell he's messed up. Right. I mean, Sting obviously doesn't have the physique he once had, but still, even at this point, looks tremendous. Yeah, he's still in crazy shape for probably like late 40s, early 50s at that point. Yep. He always had good gear, too. And then here it is right here. The Eric Bischoff's theme is playing. So I know after listening to his thing on 83 weeks, he was actually saying that he had no idea what he was going to say on the way to the ring or how he was going to approach this. He just knew that he had to, he just had to let sting know what was going on and be able to make this work on the fly here. So, and you can tell like stings a little bit thrown off or whatever. Jeff's just, Whatever they're, you know, they're professionals. They play it by ear. So right there, he's, the he's, he's like, yeah, he told him right there. He's like, you're gonna hit with the finish and stay down. Well, like I was trying to see like when he would have communicated that to Sting. He does it here. Is there? There's definitely a point when he goes for the handshake right here and he puts the mic right down. There. No, no. Right there. Tell him to shake his hand. He's going to make this fair. He wants this to be a clean matchup, but obviously, you know, he's just telling him, like, look, you hit him with your finish. Get out of here. Jeff's not in the right state of mind to do this. I believe this is where around the time he's going to make this now a no disqualifications match, which in hindsight doesn't really matter. But I mean, I guess at this point he was just eating up time and maybe another reason for him just to be out there. So it just didn't be like, Oh, best of luck. Bye. You know what I mean? Yeah. So like you said earlier, he had no idea what he was going to say. It shows right here because he repeated himself like three times. Eric takes a punch and a stomp right on the hand, which looked like it really hurt. (laughs) 
to a nicer guy, it couldn't happen. <laughs> All right, so he's on the outside selling. He's going to watch now from because he's out of the way. And here's Jeff taunting taunting these fans with his shirt for the next 30 to 40 seconds. Here is clearly where Sting realized he's messed up. Which, again, it's just so sad because, like, of everything that's going on with Jeff. Like, you imagine if, like, this was the main event it was supposed to be between these two. Like, I'm not saying it's going to be the greatest matchup of all time, but, like, Jeff has even said in interviews later on about this matchup, like, he had the opportunity to wrestle Sting in a main event for a world title. And he floundered it because of his own demons. And it's a big opportunity grew, for him. Yeah, it was a huge opportunity. He grew up idolizing this guy legitimately, like being in North Carolina and around that, you know, that Flair Country, WCWS, those states or whatever. And like Sting was the guy when he was a kid. So like obviously being a WWF fan is one thing, but like growing up with Flair and the Horseman and Sting is another, especially for someone in the South. So this is a huge opportunity. So here we go. The lockup. One shot, one punch, right into the Scorpion Death Drop. Yeah, pulls him over. I was curious, too, of how he, like, in hindsight, bam, great-looking Scorpion. One, two, three. Jeff tried kicking out, and Sting just held him there. He actually scratched up his back, too. Yeah, you can see it. Jeff's a little confused, hands the title. You see, look at the face too, just like disappointed. The crowd is just like in shock. They're like, "What the fuck?" They don't understand what they've just seen, which I don't blame them after everything they just watched tonight. Ooh, and his neck, scratch up his neck mm-hmm. too. Like Taz even made a comment here that like in hindsight was kind of really unnecessary when he's like he did better against Sting when he didn't know he was gonna be his opponent. Well, I think that was them just trying to work on the fly with what they had to deal with here. So there's Sting getting his arm raised in victory. I'm pretty sure like the crowd right here is like that's bullshit, and he's gonna be like, I agree. I think I yeah. remember this part here. Yeah, it's coming. It's coming right here. Yeah. I mean, in the end, they made it out of it okay, because it could have been a lot worse. Yeah, especially for both people involved, that could have been a lot worse for either individuals. Now we're just going to the recap right now of everything that happened. Uh, I guess we can talk about this while we're watching it. Why not? (laughs) Here's all the, the weapons or whatever again. There's the... There's the kids. Devon waiting. The 3D. And again, it would have been cool, like having Devon versus. Oh, God. All right. I was going to say it would have been cool having Devon versus Bubba at this time, but. All right. Let's see what highlights they show. All right. A back elbow, a drop kick. Yeah, there's that holding of the title forever pose. Just <laughs> the roll up. Still waiting. There's the fix. There, there's what you mean. Like, there's no way she couldn't have kicked this girl off of by now. No. Ember finally slides in. Three. 
Yeah, like there's no way. Yeah. Hernandez looking like a million bucks as usual. Yeah, look at that. Trying to stab him in the face right there. I'm like, all right, this is kind of cool. He's already bleeding. Ketchup on the chest. Yeah. (laughs) Bell being ring right here. That's another thing, too. He looked at Hernandez in the face and didn't see the blood or chose not to see the blood. Although that was kind of disgusting. Just looking back right there, the referee grabbed his chest and wiped the blood off and it showed it on his own hand. And that Robbie E bump on the steps was gross. Yeah. Jackson's doing what they do best. High spot after high spot. Tower of Doom. The Flux Capacitor. That one looked kind of unsafe. And there's uh, grabbing the championship right there. And of course, it doesn't matter. You got to get to the ground. And now you're the champion. Now, this is riveting commentary right now. Beer money! Again, great look on these two teams. I was, you know, looking forward to it. And like you said, it was a good impact match. It wasn't a pay-per-view match. It was just a good TV match between these two. Yeah, like if this would have been on a Thursday on an impact, it wouldn't have made a difference. Although this would have been the second matchup where a chain was used to hit somebody in the head. That damn book of gilly dilly gaff. Backstabber into the assisted powerbomb. I think it was called the DWI. Oh, maybe. Oh, there's three counts, Matt and Hardy, right there. <laughs> so watching the highlights back, I would definitely say that this one hundred percent was the match of the night. Would you agree or no? I mean, sure. Again, it was just too long. That was another thing. AJ. I made mean, a- compared to everything else on the card, though. Sure. Compared to everything else, sure. That was another oh. thing. Guy his hair, and they tried to make him look like Ric Flair. It's like, yeah. let's take the individuality of your homegrown stars away. There's the thumb in the eye. Oh, there's the Pele kick. The count and the three. Wheat spiral tab. But back before Rob Van Dam was gross. <laughs> That's rude. He's a Hall gross. of Famer, goddammit. Sure, but he's still gross. <laughs> <laughs> so mean. Again, just the chemistry between these two was just not there at all. Again, I don't know if it was just a bad night in the offices. Some of the guys like to say once in a while, but yeah, idiot, idiot doesn't move on the ramp, gets himself counted out. Yep. And then once again, Anderson loses his opportunity to become champion. He didn't get many more of those before he was gone. Where's your van? Here's the, then here's the main event highlights again. Bam! Punch that motherfucker right in the face. Scorpion death drop. And then here's the pinfall again. One, two, shoulders clearly up. And you can tell he's fighting for it, but Sting doing a hell of a good job. So 
that concludes it right there. That is Victory Road 2011. That is our review of the pay-per-view. Like I said, my match of the night was Hardy versus uh, Styles. What about yourself? Well, I'd probably agree. But overall, I, this pay-per-view was a chore to get through. <laughs> but it's interesting to go back because, like I said, everyone just knows this pay-per-view for the main event. So it's like, was there any hidden gems on there? Obviously, the answer is no. So, <laughs> I mean, if anything, if anything, there was hidden gems of, like, some debauchery. Like, completely forgot about the shitty blood angle between Hernandez and that. <laughs> completely forgot that... Uh, Selena Vega was a part of Impact, and it was even a tag team champion. So, like, of course, there were some cool things to see. And, of course, you know, got the epic honeymoon between Jeff and Karen that we just dying to see, you know, between oh, yeah. the two of them. I get what you're saying, but it's crazy because, like, I'm probably I'm pretty sure I remember watching that the first time and not feeling the same way I feel about it now. Yeah. Like I probably I probably thought back then I'm like, oh yeah, it was a pretty decent pretty decent show. The main event was terrible. But it was a pretty decent show. Like, like yeah, yeah, the main the main event ruined the show, but really the show ruined the show. Yeah, it's like now you go back and you watch the rest of the show and you're like, this really wasn't that good at all from top to bottom. Yeah. Especially when you even said like the one match that was the best, or at least for myself, was the one that went way too goddamn long and was the closest thing to a professional wrestling match because you had the most credible people in there. Like, uh, well, anyways, like I said, that's going to do it for our retro review of uh, Victory Road 2011. Like I said, a couple months late. We're not going to do that again. Um, we're planning to do another one of these in a couple of months, uh, possibly in July. Uh, date to be determined of which one we're going to do. But right now, as of right now, again, Things could change. Cards subject to change. We're thinking about doing WWF Invasion 2001 because it will be the 20-year anniversary of that um, event, which actually falls on one of the Thursdays when these shows air. So um, be on the lookout for that. If you'd like us to be able to review that, make sure to go over to Facebook.com slash Wars and, of course, go over to our uh, Instagram account as well, Instagram.com slash Wars. You know, just find us on there. Give us a follow. Give us a like. All that jazz. Next week on the program, on May the 20th, we're going to be doing our very special comic book Super Villains Fantasy Draft. That's right. It's one of our fantasy draft episodes, but this time, instead of going to the world of pro wrestling, we actually do comic books. And uh, my, uh, myself as the uh, the special host, uh, Jordan, you were uh, one of the uh, participants of this, as well as Vander Cruz. And of course, when, when Geeks Collide hosts of their podcast, Steve Brown and Logan Savage, they join the program as well. The four of you compete uh, to determine who can create the most evil of all supervillain teams by using characters from the Marvel and DC universes. So uh, be on the lookout for that. That was a lot of fun, and I think you guys are going to have a really good time. Uh, very interesting to see who was chosen number one overall, still in my opinion. But be that as it may, we'll let you guys be the deciding factors of that. So, uh, Jordan, th- anything you want to say before we wrap things up here? Well, hopefully when we, do, when we do more of these, we can actually get to one that was actually enjoyable to watch from top to bottom. Well, like I said, if we do Invasion in July, then, you know, that should be a lot of fun. Because there was a lot of hidden gems on that one. Nick Patrick versus uh, Earl Hebner was not one of them, but, you know. 
I'm just saying it'd be it'd be it'd be a pain to be like Debbie Downers all the time, just ripping shit apart when we could actually do one that was actually really good too. Yeah, well, be this it may, like I said, check out everything in the archives, uh, previous episodes of uh, fantasy drafts and tournament editions and a whole bunch of other stuff that we got planned going on. Like I said, next week is the comic book super villain fantasy draft edition. So I'm really looking forward to that one. So stay tuned. In the meantime, like I said, check out everything on social media. My name is Adam Hayes. Thank you very much. And we'll catch you on the next one.